All right, so I have uh, a whole bunch of Bible today. I, I chopped out a whole section because I was like, all right, I don't think that you guys can quite handle that many stories. I want to read a bunch of stories about uh, Simon, who became Peter, so Simon Peter, and his interactions with Jesus. I had a few more, but I got rid of them. So be thankful. When I realized that all the kids were in with us today, I decided slightly shorter was better, but we'll see how we go. Uh, so I'm going to start out in John chapter 1, where Simon meets Jesus. It's a good place to start. And it simply says in verse 41, uh, the first thing Andrew did, I really like Andrew. Every time you hear about Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Like if you do a study on Andrew, that's his thing. He brings people to Jesus. He brings like the, the boy with the loaves and fishes and he brings, anyway, like that's his thing. So he brings, uh, he went and found his brother Simon and, and tells him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Uh, so right here at this very first interaction, Jesus doesn't just see Simon. He looks into him. He understands him. He knows him. And he says, not only are you Simon, but you will be Peter. You will be the rock. Uh, and so the, the various translations of Peter, be it Cephas or Peter, or, or which comes from Petra, all of these things uh, mean rock. So all, already from the very beginning, Jesus is saying, I know who you are and I know what's going to happen to you. Um, all right. So, but what we know about Peter is that he was about as hot-headed and normal. Like he wasn't an eloquent speaker. He wasn't uh, particularly brilliant at anything. He was just a loud, impetuous, uh, obnoxious, hot-headed, emotional, irrational, mostly spontaneous kind of guy. He was the opposite of rock-like. He was very much uh, shifting sand. He was bouncing from one thing to the other. Uh, but Jesus saw something inside of him. All right, now I want to jump down to Luke chapter 5. Because he's met Jesus now, but this is another turning point for him in Luke chapter 5 from verse 4. Uh, so Jesus is speaking here. It says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. Uh, so my, my stories are uh, perhaps a little bit out of, out of order here. So we're jumping into another story because in that previous section there, it referred to him as Simon Peter. Uh, but we're going to go now to the point uh, in the narrative where Jesus says, instead of saying, you will be called Peter, he says, all right, you are now actually going to be called Peter for real. Like, no more, uh, no more lead up. This is where it's happening. So this is in Matthew 16. 
Uh, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So already I have some pretty significant questions. Because Jesus is all like, oh wow, you totally. How did you know? Oh, it must have been revealed to you from heaven. Except that Andrew introduced him as the Messiah. Like that is literally the introduction he was given. He's like, Peter, I'd like you to, uh, sorry, uh, um, Simon, I'd like you to meet Jesus. He is the Messiah. That is the Christ. So all of a sudden now it's like, he gets this huge kudos for being like, oh, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is all, oh, that's revealed to you by my Father in heaven. So I have some serious questions about how this works here. Um, and the only way I can kind of resolve this is to say, this isn't when Jesus is saying, he's not saying, who have you heard that I am? He's not saying, what did your brother tell you? He's saying, who do you say I am? Who do you know I am? Who do you, from your experience, from your connection with me, who do you say that I am? And because there is a difference between someone who is a witness to something and someone who has hearsay to something. So a witness says, I saw, I heard, I uh, was a witness to this event, this thing that happened. Whereas hearsay is, I heard someone else say that this happened. So Peter is now in a, oh, Simon Peter is now in a position where he can say, I know this to be true, for I have witnessed this. I have been um, the, you know, journeying with you and I can see that you are truly the Messiah. So the, the reality of that, instead of just the information of that, but the reality and the understanding and the full comprehension of who he is as the Messiah is something that has not been given to him by flesh and blood. It's something that's been given to him and revealed to him by his uh, father in heaven. And Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, Jesus isn't looking for someone who says, oh, I heard this thing about you. Jesus was looking for someone who was a true witness. He wasn't just looking for someone who said the right formulaic prayer. He was looking for someone that was a true follower of him. A few verses after that, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, Peter might have some things figured out, but he clearly doesn't have all those things figured out. Uh, in fact, like I said, Peter's impetuous. Uh, Peter is just downright dumb, actually. When Jesus says, this is what's going to happen, you shouldn't respond how Peter did. Peter says, Peter took him aside. He didn't want to uh, embarrass Jesus in front of everyone. He, so he, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I will never allow them to take you and to kill you. That would, so Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So he goes from, you've had this revealed to you by my Father in heaven, to you are Satan and stand behind me. You don't understand what God thinks. There's this huge kind of flip-flop in, uh, inside of Peter. And this is what typifies basically the life of Peter at this stage. Uh, he, he's all in and then he makes the dumbest mistakes. Because Jesus made it pretty clear. He said that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he will be killed and on the third day be raised to life. All right, now we're... We, I, 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 this is where I chopped out some stories. So just imagine that we did some other Peter and Jesus stories like walking on the water where Peter is... Unlike the other disciples, he has the the courage, even though he ultimately sinks there, he has the courage to step out on the water. So now we're jumping into Luke chapter 22. And uh, this is a pretty big section of scripture I want to read you from verse 28 onwards. And this is at the um, the Last Supper. And then Jesus, uh, he says, you are the ones, talking to his disciples, who have stuck it out with me through the trials I've had to endure. This is my bequest to you, the kingdom my father bequeathed to me. What does this mean? It means you will eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, Simon, Simon, listen to this. He's Simon again now. It's interesting. The Satan demanded to have you. He wanted to shake you into bits like wheat. But I prayed for you. I prayed that you wouldn't run out of faith. And when you turn back, you must give strength to your brothers. This is interesting interesting because Jesus is saying, saying, Satan wants to mess with you and he's going to do that, but you won't run out of faith. But he does say when you turn back again. So he says, things are going to go bad for you. But when you turn back again, Jesus is saying, I know who you are and I know what's going to happen. I know the events in the future, but you will turn back. I know that this is true of you. And again, Simon, though, this is one of his great um, uh, attempts to rebuke Jesus. He says, Master, I am ready to go with you to prison or to death. Let me tell you, Peter, replied Jesus. The cock won't crow today before you have three times denied that you know me. When I sent you out, Jesus said to them, without purse or bag or sandals, were you short of anything? Nothing, they replied. But now, he said, anyone who has a purse should take it and the same with a bag. And anyone who doesn't have a sword should sell his cloak and buy one. And let me tell you this, when the Bible says he was reckoned with the lawless, it must find its fulfillment in me. Yes, everything about me must reach its goal. This is weird. Because the first time he said, I want to send you out of missionaries, don't take anything and let everyone look after you. Find a man of peace, live in their home. They'll put your blessing on them and all that. And this time he says, collect all your stuff, sell it, buy swords. Because he says, the Bible says that he, w- he was reckoned with the lawless. So the next verse in 38, it says, look, master, they said, we've got a couple swords here. Uh, And Jesus is like, that's plenty. That's enough. Uh, So off they went. 
the sword thing is weird here because Jesus is he's saying we need the swords because the Bible says that we will look like lawless people. See, they needed a legal case to bring against Jesus. He had to look like a violent revolutionary in order for them to arrest him and take and and you know and, and crucify him. So Jesus is saying, in order for that to be true, we need some swords. And they're like, we've got a couple. And he's like, that's plenty. My entire bloody revolution that will take over all of Rome, a couple swords is more than enough. Like he's not calling in the tanks. Uh, he's, he's just got a couple guys and they're like, yeah, I got a Swiss Army knife. And he's like, sweet, that's plenty. Because he's not actually planning a violent revolution. He just needs to get arrested. So he says, that's enough. And so off they went and Jesus headed as usual for the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you won't come into the trial. He then withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down to pray. Father, he said, if you wish it, please take this cup away from me. But it must be your will, not mine. And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And by now he was in agony and he prayed very fervently and his sweat became like clots of blood falling on the ground. And then he got up from praying and came to his disciples and found them asleep because of sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He said to them, get up and pray so that you won't come into the trial. And while he was still speaking, a crowd appeared. And the man named Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He came towards Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And Jesus' followers saw what was about to happen. Master, they said, shall we go in with the swords? And one of them, who we know was Peter, and one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Enough of that, said Jesus, and healed the ear with a touch. And then Jesus spoke to the chief priests, the temple guardsmen and the elders who uh, had come after him. And anyone would think I was a brigand, he said, for you to come out with swords and clubs. But every day I've been in the temple with you and you never laid hands on me. But your moment has come at last and so has the power of darkness. And so they arrested Jesus. They took him off and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed at a distance. And they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it and Peter sat in among them. This is really important because often when we retell this story, where Peter ends up denying Jesus, it is retold in a way that makes, G, uh, makes Peter out to be a coward. But Peter's not a coward. Everybody else has bolted. Everybody else, there's one other bloke. It says one disciple and Peter, they went in and followed. Uh, they followed into the temple court, into the, into the um, what does it say they went? Into the high priest's house. He followed in because he wanted to see what was happening to his Lord because inside of him, he's still thinking Something's got to happen here. Jesus is going to use his miraculous power here. Something is going to happen. This can't possibly be true. Even though Jesus says, I will be taken and I'll be tried and I'll be crucified and I'll have to rise from the dead three days later. Peter still can't get that into his head. He still thinks that Jesus is going to take the swords and take his angels and he's going to overthrow the enemy. So Peter follows in. He is concerned uh, he's nervous. He's, he, he is afraid, but he's not a coward. 
And it says, the servant girl saw him sitting by the fire and she stared hard at him. This fellow was with him, she said. And Peter denied it. I don't know him, woman, he said. See, Peter's having a faith crisis. His Lord, who he was prepared to fight for. When he says, I'm prepared to fight and die and go to prison with you. He meant that. He's not lying. He literally, he's saying, I am ready to fight with you, Jesus. But he's really confused when Jesus isn't fighting. He's having a faith crisis because Jesus is meant to be standing up finally to bring up free Israel. You know what I mean? And, and, and Peter is saying, I don't understand this. I'm prepared to fight for you and I'm totally ready to go to prison with you. But it's not happening the way that I thought it would happen. And a little while later, an, another man saw him and said, you're one of them. No, my friend, I'm not, replied Peter. So this is the Peter who walked on the water. This is the Peter who immediately pulled his sword to strike out at them when they came to take Jesus. He's not a coward, but he's very disillusioned. Surely now Jesus is going to rise up. Finally now, this is where it's going to happen. After the space of about an hour, another man insisted, it's true, this man was with him. He is a Galilean too. My good fellow, said Peter, I don't know what you're talking about. And at once, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The master turned and looked at Peter. You see, he's in this courtyard and Jesus is right there. The master turns and he looks at Peter. And Peter called to mind the words the master had spoken to him. Before the cock crows, this very day, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've ever felt the, the pain of disappointment or of disillusionment, uh, especially when you have a belief and your belief is totally challenged by the reality that you face. Some kind of sickness or tragedy or injustice or unanswered prayer that is just wrong, that doesn't make sense. When there's something that happens that is so contrary to the kingdom of God, that is so abhorrent to the presence of God, but it happened anyway, even though you prayed, even though you fasted, even though you believed in all your heart, even though you were ready to fight and die for this cause, it still didn't work out the way you wanted it to. This is the disillusionment that Peter has. He just doesn't understand what's going on. Master, I am ready to go with you to prison or to death. He was willing to fight and die. But he didn't know how to follow Jesus without that sword. He didn't know how to follow Jesus without a hope of a victorious free Israel. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah after all. Maybe this whole thing is a lie. Maybe he's just a con man. Maybe it was uh, what everyone else said. The Pharisees said, maybe he's doing this through the power of the devil. Maybe this isn't real. Because right now, my victorious, um, radical, revolutionary leader, Jesus, the master and Messiah, is just being held and beaten. He's being tried and he's going to be killed and he's doing nothing. And the master turns and looks at Peter. And Peter's like, has this moment where he's like, and he told me this would happen. 
He told me that I would deny him. He knew that this was going to happen. And he knew it because he is the Messiah. He knew it because he is actually going to do something. Something miraculous is going to happen. And it's like Peter's mind is just filled with this reality and this truth. And he knows that Jesus expected Peter to let him down. And the shame and the guilt and the fear and, the, and the, just all of that comes down on Peter. And he leaves and he weeps. And Jesus is crucified and Peter and the disciples, they go away and they just don't know what to do anymore. And, and, and when we don't know what to do, we just go back to the same pattern of life that we always had. So Peter and the disciples, they just go and they start fishing again. They give up on their revolution. They give up on their, on their Messiah. They just pretend like nothing ever happened and they go back out in the boat. This is in John 21. It says, after this, Jesus showed himself. This is after the resurrection. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And this was how he showed himself. So Simon Peter and Thomas, known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were all together. And Simon Peter spoke up. I'm going fishing, he said. And I get that. I, I get that a lot. I like when things are crap, it's like I'm you know what? I'm going to the movies. When things are crap and you're just like, screw this, I'm going fishing. You know, I'm I'm going to do the thing that I go and do to get my mind off it, just to get back in the routine. I can't believe this crap. I'm just I am going fishing. And everybody else said, Amen to that. Probably not. They said, Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, let's all go fishing. So they went off and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing which is great for my self-esteem because I love fishing and I catch bugger all. So it's nice to see these fishermen go out and catch nothing. And as dawn was breaking, they fished all night. As dawn was breaking, Jesus stood beside the seashore, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. It was just like way off in the distance. And Jesus yells out, he says, children! I'll bet they're thinking, bloody children, who do you think is a kid? Anyway, haven't you got anything to eat? And they said, no. And he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find something. And so they cast the net and now they couldn't draw it in because of the weight of the fish. So the disciple that Jesus loved, go remember, this is the book of John. So he never refers to himself by name. It's always the disciple that Jesus loved. Yeah. So John, the disciple that Jesus loved, spoke to Peter and he said, it, it's the master. So you remember when, when, Je when Jesus called Simon to follow him, it was a scene exactly like this. When he said, throw the net over the other side. And all of a sudden there were so many fish, they couldn't draw it in. And so John and Peter, they're there and they, they've caught nothing. And then they just throw the net over and it's full of fish. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, it's the master. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the master, he wrapped his cloak around him for he'd been naked for work. And he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples brought the boat into the land, dragging the net full of fish. And they weren't far from shore, about a hundred yards away. 
And when they came to land, they saw a charcoal fire laid there with fish and bread on it. Jesus spoke to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught, he said. So Simon Peter went and pulled the net onto the shore and it was full of large fish, 153 in all. The net wasn't torn, even though there were so many. Come and have breakfast, said Jesus to them. See, just as he had a last supper with them, he now has a, a, another, like a, a, a last breakfast with them as well. And, and, he, and he reiterates this, that he recommunes with them and he recommits to them and he says, hey guys, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the master. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so also with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. Such a rip off for Mary. Not a real disciple. It's actually the fourth time if you count her. So when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus spoke to Simon Peter. And you can imagine how Simon's been feeling all this time. He, like, he literally jumped out of the boat to swim to the shore. He is like, like I don't know, if, like our puppy Bernie, when he sees, you at the, he sees you at the gate and he comes tearing out and he jumps up and yips at you and he's so excited to see you. That's what, that's what Peter's like. He's, but you know he gets there and then he's like, oh man, the last time I saw this guy was when he looked at me and he knew that I'd betrayed him, that I had denied him. So you know inside of, of, of Peter there's this unbelievable turmoil that's happening inside of him because he's like, what does Jesus think of me even? Like he knew I was going to do this thing. Like, do, uh, like how do I even eyeball him? Like you know when you have that sense of guilt, you've been caught out, you've done something wrong and you're like, I have to have an awkward conversation and the dread and the, the shame. So when they'd eaten breakfast, it's like finally they like ate in silence or something. It says, Jesus spoke to Simon Peter. And I, and I know that, that Simon Peter is just thinking, oh. And, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's, and he's looking around at the disciples. He's not saying, do you love me more than your fishing boat? He's looking around at the other disciples because Peter boldly proclaimed, I, everyone else will fall away, uh, but not me. I will go and die for you. And he then denies Christ. So, Peter, and so Jesus says to him, do you love me more than everybody else here? Jesus says, do you love me with everything inside of you? Do you agape love me? Do you, with, with your whole soul and being, do you love me more than these, these love me? And, and Peter, he says, yeah, yes, Master. You, you know that I'm your friend. See, he can't raise himself up to say, I agape love you. I love you completely. He says, I, I phileo you. I friend love you. He says, I know you want me to love you, but I have shown that I'm, just, I'm not good enough for that. I'm, you know I'm your friend. You can see it. The word for know there is uh, Edo. It's to see. You can see that I'm your friend. And then and Jesus says, well, then feed my lambs. And... And it's like Jesus, like this is how Peter would be hearing that. He's saying, feed my lambs. He's saying, right, so if I want to be a part of what you're doing now, maybe I can work with the babies. Maybe I can work with, you know, children's ministry. Um, maybe I'll be allowed to, I know it's harsh, the children's pastor. Um, maybe I'll be allowed to make coffee, which I think is the highest calling in the church. Uh, maybe, maybe, 
Pray for me. My coffee machine is getting repaired. It's been a long week. And then they fixed it. They sent it back and another thing was broken. How bad is that? Like I literally got it back, unpacked it, made a cup of coffee and then packed it back up again. And sent it back. So yeah, pray for Jess. She has to put up with me without my coffee. Um, He says, yes, master, you know I'm your friend. He says, well, then you can feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, said Jesus again for a second time. Do you love me with all of your heart? Do you agape me? Yes, master, he said. You can see that, that I'm your friend, that I phileo love you, that that's as good as I can offer you. I've, I've clearly denied you. We all know it's true. Do you have to rub it in? Simon, and then he says, look after my sheep. And he says, well, that's an upgrade. Before he said I could look after the lambs, and now you're saying I can look after the sheep. He's like, all right, I, I, I feel restored. I'm allowed to serve in, in ministry again. I can be one of, of your flock. I can serve. And he says, Simon, son of John, said Jesus a third time. And this time Jesus doesn't say, do you love me with the agape love? He just says, are you my friend? Do you phileo me? And says, Peter was upset that on this third time, Jesus asked him, are you my friend? You see, because by doing this three times, he's really like, Peter's just like, I get it. I denied you three times. You eyeballed me already. I feel like crap. Uh, But Jesus is saying, I remember and I knew it already. I knew it before you did it. And I knew it and I know it now. And it doesn't matter. He's saying, I know that, that you want to love me. I know that. I know that. So three times he, he brings to him again. He says, and then, then the third time he doesn't say, do you love me with the, with the biggest love that there is? He just says, are you my friend? Master, he said, you know, you can see everything. But then he, he uses a different word. He says, you know, I am your friend. The first time he says, you, you can see everything with your eyes. And then he says, but you have experienced You've, um, the word is gnosis. It's, it's, a, you, you, it's not just you have seen that I am your friend. You know that I am your friend. You know that I'm your friend. And then Jesus says this. He says, feed my sheep. He goes from, from saying, feed my lambs, look after the children. And then he says, look after my sheep. And this last time he says, feed my sheep. He restores him. He says, I don't just want you to look after the the little lambs. I don't just want you to be with the sheep. I want you to lead. I want you to serve the food. I want you to be, be restored. I want you to be Peter the rock. And I know that you denied me three times and here you are now. You are my friend. And, and sometimes there's a hierarchy that we see with this love thing. We, we, we think that agape is always more than, than phileo, which is always better than that slimy eros love. Uh, yes, that's sexual eros love. But it doesn't work like that because that sexual eros love, there is a place for that where it's fantastic. Uh, and there is a place where Jesus says, if you agape me, then lay down your lives for your friends, your phileo. Like these loves are not meant to be a hierarchy. So when he says, I, I want to be your friend, that's like when he says earlier, he says, I am not just your master. I, we are now friends. So he's not, this is not a diminishing of what he's saying here. He's saying, are you known to me? Are you my friend? Are we... Uh, 
And Jesus says, feed my sheep, lead them, teach them, be an example to them. This is what love looks like. And this is the challenge for Peter. Love does not look like taking up swords and violence. Love looks like service. Love looks like tending the sheep. Love looks like being there for the flock. It, love looks like something different to what you had expected. And I know that you were disillusioned. And I know you were disappointed. And I know that you had a picture of what it would look like. But you were, and I kept trying to tell you, Peter. So three times he says, are you my friend? And eventually they come to this place where Peter's like, yes, I am. You know that I am your friend. And then this really um, beautiful, but also horrifying um, thing happens because Jesus, he prophesied to Peter before uh, on several occasions. He said, I know who you are. He said, you are Simon, but you will be the rock that I plant my church. And then he said, you are this rock that I plant on my church. And then he says, but you're going to deny me, which to, to which Peter says is never going to happen. But then finally, he makes this last prophecy for Peter. And he says, I'm telling you the solemn truth. When you were young, you put on your own clothes and went about wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you up and take you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate the sort of death by which Peter would bring glory to God. And when he had said this, he added, follow me. See this, it rings back to that very first time that they met. He just says, come follow me. Not with swords, not with violence, not with the kind of revolution that you have been trained and, and born into as, an, as a people, but come and follow me and tend my lambs and, and feed my sheep. Come follow me with, with, with friendship and love. And even though you denied me, you will get, your, you, you will get your, your chance to follow me. And one day they will take you and they will lead you to a place where you don't want to go and they will stretch out your arms and they will kill you. And, and we know, uh, and, and we believe it was under, the, uh, under Nero, that, that Peter did ultimately go to his crucifixion and they hung him upside down to insult him further, to insult Christ further. See, and, and Jesus prophesies this in front of everybody else. He's not doing this to shame Peter. He's not doing the, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? To embarrass Peter. He's doing it to restore Peter. And then he, he says in front of everyone, and this man, he will feed my sheep. This man will be the rock on which I build my church. And this man will go and he will die for me. You see, Peter's not defined by the denials. He's not defined by the failures. He's not defined by his weird and misunderstandings of Christ and his inability to hear for so long about what the kingdom really looked like. He's defined by the calling that God has placed inside of him to love and to serve and to die. Just as Jesus loved and served and died. He is an ambassador of Jesus. And even though Jesus knows his struggles and his fears, even though Jesus knows the things that are inside of him and the doubts and the disillusionment and the misunderstanding, Jesus still calls out of him something more. And um, Peter doesn't like just to have a great moment. Peter always likes to ruin it. 
He's like, this is the rock that I'll build my church. And then he's like rebuking Jesus. And like, you are a dullard. And then even here, there's like this brilliant, great, incredible moment of restoration and calling and, and like future declaration. And then Peter turns around and he saw following them, the disciple that Jesus loved. And, and then he, he's just in case you don't know who that is, says this is the disciple who would lean back uh, against Jesus's chest at the supper. John's really, he really likes to milk how much Jesus loved him here. <laughs> Peter saw the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, the, the one that was leaning on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. Yeah. Okay, we know. We know who you're talking about, John. Uh, who asked, Master, who is it that is going to betray you? And this is where Peter puts his foot in it again. He says, Master, said Peter to Jesus. So Jesus has just said, you're going to die for me. And Peter says, what about him? <laughs> What about that bloke? What's going to happen to him? You know, like, really, Peter? And Jesus is just like, oh, my goodness. Um, if that's my intention, sure, he can die too. Uh, uh, that he should remain here until I come? What's it got to do with you? You must follow me. You see, Peter, he's still the same Peter. He's still the same. He's a goon. He's, he's ridiculous. He finally has this... This uh, clarity, this restoration, this ministry and this calling. And also uh, he's been empowered in front of all of the disciples to lead and to be, you know, to be given that place of authority. Uh, and then Jesus says, you're going to die for me. And he says, yeah, but what about the other guys? What's, what's happening with them? You see, because when we are empowered by Jesus, it doesn't, like it changes certain things inside of us, but it doesn't destroy who we are. I, I suspect that Peter remained uh, this outgoing, hot-headed, but then there were other things inside of him that had to be transformed. He had to become Peter instead of Simon. I think that you know that God wants certain things in us to be transformed. And he wants to take the, the disillusionment and the disappointment or the misunderstanding or the, um, or the, the, the denial or the, the things that, that are inside of us that have the wrong picture of God. And he wants to transform them into something new. Heavenly Father, I um, ask that you would help us to, to love you, to be a friend to follow you regardless of the ups and the downs and the days of, um, of great faith and the days of, of great doubt, the days of, of, um, of stepping forward courageously and the days of, of skulking back in, in fear. Or I ask that you would just be with us and that you would restore us when we fall, that we would know you uh, not just um, in our misguided view of you, but we would know you as revealed um, by our Father in heaven. I pray we'd have a revelation of who you are, God, of your, uh, of your great love. I pray that we would live out uh, following you, that we would live out the calling that you've given us.
thank you for your graciousness to us. That you know that we will have days where we do things that aren't right. Where we have days where we walk away, where we run and hide, where we just don't even have the faith to, to do anything. And I just, I thank you that you know that and you still love us. You still draw us in and you still forgive us and you still have a future and a plan for us and a calling for us. I ask that you would help us to, to find that, that we would follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.